A few weeks ago, I found myself in the emergency room, uh, and I'm going to tell you right now, I was grouchy about it. <laughs> uh, I uh, cut my hand, I cut one of my fingers, it wasn't that big of a deal, and, and I was partly grouchy at my wife because she said I had to go, um, but she was right. Uh, you know, we, we weren't sure. I mean, they thought it was going to need stitches and all that. It, it wouldn't quit bleeding. And, but, you know, you sit in the emergency room, and, and you're sort of at somebody else's mercy, you know. We went, and we sort of checked in, as you do, and then we went and sat down. Go have a seat. Okay, we went and had a seat with the many, many other people who were also waiting to see somebody in the emergency room. And then they call your name. Oh, great, great. Well, they just call my name to go sit over here and just kind of give them the very basics. All right, now go back and sit in the waiting room. Oh, okay. So we waited and we waited and we waited. And then they called my name again. All right, great, here we go. And then they took me into another place and did some other things and just kind of took some vitals and then said, okay, now go back to the waiting room. <sighs> um, at this point, it was what I had intended to be my bedtime. And so what I really wanted to be was in bed, you know, curled up with my head on a pillow and drifting off to sleep. And instead, I was just stuck here. And I just thought, oh, I wish this would hurry. And then they called my name again. All right, we've got a, uh, you know, we're taking you to this curtain room, this, this, actually it wasn't just a curtain, it was a full-on room, really fancy. All right, we got a room for you. Great! And then Deborah and I sat in that room by ourselves for a very long time. And then somebody came in. Great! Now they just wanted to get some more information. Okay, doctor will be here soon. And then they left and we were, I mean, I, to cut a long story short, I know, too late, right? <laughs> I heard that. It, it just went on for hours, you know. And I understand there were a lot of people there who all needed to be seen, many of whom had more serious issues than I did. Uh, the hospital's understaffed. I mean, I wasn't really upset at anyone. I was just upset at the circumstances, you know, because again, I really wanted to be home and in bed. I didn't want to be there waiting and, and trying not to drift off to sleep as I sat, you know, on a hospital bed waiting for somebody to come and, and do what they needed to do to fix me up. And I was just trapped. And it was good to be untrapped. <laughs> you know, it was good to finally hear, okay, go home. You know, if anything changes, let us know. But you're good. Go ahead, get out of here. That was so great. Isn't that a great feeling? You know, when you're somewhere where maybe you don't want to be, uh, standing in a line, waiting, whatever it is, it's just... A, a despicable process, and then you get done, and you get to be done, and you get to leave. What a great feeling. I want you to think of that as you uh, turn this morning back to Romans chapter 8. I know sometimes scripture reading is open, and you probably close your, your Bible up. Well, now you get to go right back there. Romans chapter 8, it's going to be our text for this morning. And there's this stark contrast that the Apostle Paul is going to write about here as, as, as we continue to discuss the power of the resurrection. We celebrated Easter a couple of weeks ago, but we are continuing to celebrate Easter, continuing to celebrate the resurrection, and importantly, what that has for us, what that means for us, its import in our lives. And Paul has a lot to write about that in our passage this morning. Romans chapter 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. <laughs> I mean, we could just stop right there. 
We could end there. You know, when he says, therefore, it ought to put into your brain, wait, he's referring to something else that he said previously. Yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, We're not going to take the time and go back and read it, but he's already had a, a very long dissertation about the law. And for the Apostle Paul, who is Jewish, and, and not just Jewish, but was trained as a Pharisee, Paul knew more about the law than the vast majority of the people in his culture would have. Uh, he didn't just know it a little. He knew it backward and forward. He was steeped in it. But he has this long dissertation about the place of the law. And that in part, that law had been superseded by Jesus Christ, the Messiah. That, that it, it didn't really get done what it needed to get done. But he, he keeps going back and forth and saying, well, am I, am I suggesting that the law is bad? Well, no, of course not. The law was from God. God gave us the law. I'm not saying that it's bad, but here's what the law couldn't do. Here's the place of the law. Uh, um, and part of what he writes about is that what the law points out for us is that we're sinners. I mean, at the end of the day, that's really what the law is great at doing, at reminding me that I'm a lawbreaker, at reminding the whole world that we are lawbreakers, that we're sinners, that we've got this problem. And through that law comes penalty, comes death. And again, he says, so does that mean law is bad? Well, no, 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 no. But it's a reminder for me so that when he gets to chapter 8 and he says, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's good news. That's beautiful news. But then he goes on, for the law of the spirit of life. I want to stop right there. Because the point of all of this is the power of the resurrection. And again, so many of these passages, whether we notice it or not, I want us to notice it, they're steeped in resurrection. When he talks about the spirit of life, see, this is all predicated on the life of Jesus Christ, on a Savior who is risen and who is alive and is seated at the right hand of God in heaven. Hallelujah. So he says, there's now no condemnation for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Part of what Paul does throughout this passage is paint a pretty stark picture about our before Jesus. We've talked a lot before about sharing the gospel sharing your faith with people. And I I think one of my favorite ways to sort of break that down and outline that in your own brain, however it looks, is to just tell your story about who you were before Jesus and who you are after Jesus. Yeah? I mean, that's what we're talking about. And Paul here reminds us who we were before Jesus, that there was this law of sin and death and that we've been set free from that. Verse 3, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. There were things that the law could not do. The law, again, God gave the law to the nation of Israel, but it was just temporary. It was just repeatedly putting a band-aid 
on the problem. Part of its point was to demonstrate to Israel, see, this is just this temporary fix. Now I'm going to bring you the permanent fix. It's Jesus Christ. It's the Messiah that's been promised by the prophets for centuries. I'm going to bring that. But in order to to really for you to see your need, what you need to see is the temporary nature of this other fix. There were things that the law just could not ultimately do. Because God didn't write the law right? No. Because it was all temporary. It was all just a pointer. The law itself even was simply a pointer to the Messiah that was to come. What God has done, what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We've already seen the Spirit reference a lot, and, and I hope in whatever translation that you're using that Spirit is capitalized throughout. It really ought to be. It's referring to the person of the Holy Spirit, God Himself in the person of the Holy Spirit, and that's used throughout. But there's this other word now that you've noticed He's, he's used quite a bit, and that's that word flesh, right? The Greek word is sarks. And he, he points out that this sarks, this flesh, that it's an issue, it's a problem. But what Jesus did by coming in the, the, the likeness of that flesh, and I want to be careful. Sometimes people look at that and say, see, Jesus just looked like a human. He wasn't actually human. Well, the Bible doesn't teach that. We've talked about that in other settings. The Bible teaches very clearly Jesus was utterly, absolutely, 100% human, which is why he could take my place and your place. It just so happens he was also 100% fully God. Huh? He was a 200% person. <laughs> Only God can do that. But where he just had our likeness was that he did not fall prey to the sin that you and I all fall prey to living in the flesh. Right. And in order that the righteous requirement, verse 4, of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. I think we forget this. Maybe not just we as individuals, but we as people, as the human race. We really get convinced that we can just be good enough, you know, to really please God. And frankly, as you look at at world religions, and this is not, you know, to have a contest about world religions, but the reality is so many world religions have to do with just that. Here's how you, a person, please your God. Here's how you get to earn your God's favor. 
You know, you jump through these hoops, you do the right things, you say the right stuff, and you earn God's favor. And what the Bible teaches really clearly is, nuh-uh. That's kind of what it says. You know, I paraphrase it, but nuh-uh. <laughs> You're not capable of pleasing God. You understand that? That as the old creature that you were, you are incapable of pleasing God. It's not possible. That's why here again, Jesus did something that the law itself could not do. Jesus did something that we couldn't do. This is huge. I mean, this is really big news. You, however, verse 9, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. And this is one of those ifs. In Greek, it's sort of a, an interesting conditional. He, he's not really saying if as if he's questioning his readers, as if he's challenging his readers. It, it's really more in English, more like a since, you know? Since you're, you're in him. You're not in the flesh, you're in the spirit. And that's an interesting statement because this term flesh, this Greek word sarks, I mean, it really means he's, he's not talking about, I, I think there are some translations that erroneously can translate that word as sin nature. And, and it's not quite the same as sin nature because Paul writes very clearly that you and I still live in the sarks. However, not in our sin nature. We've been given a new nature. You know, we don't have two natures. We have a new nature. We've been made new creatures, but we do still deal with this sarks, right? And it's still a problem. You know, the apostle Paul writes, it's frustrating sometimes. I feel like there's this war going on within me. You know, the very things that I don't want to do, I sometimes do. And the stuff that I do want to do, I end up not doing it. It's because there's this battle raging in me still. Not because I have a sin nature. God gave me a new nature, but there's still sarks. There's still flesh. So it's an interesting statement here to say, we're not in the flesh. <laughs> right? Because we kind of are. But his point is, in reality, the spiritual reality of things is, you and I, as followers of Jesus, have been set free from that. See? You're no longer in the sarks, the flesh. You're in the Spirit. Verse 11, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead, here's that resurrection again. I mean, it's like the apostles wouldn't shut up about it, you know, seriously, because they knew that they couldn't and shouldn't. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Hallelujah. Come on. You were dead and now you're alive. Hallelujah. Amen. That's phenomenal news. It's another one of these things that all too often we get kind of inured with, you know. 
we, we become numb to this fact because we've heard it so much. We say, yeah, 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 I know. It's almost as if we forget who we were before Jesus. And I love these passages that remind us really clearly who we were before Jesus so that when we realize who we are with Jesus, we can shout hallelujah to our God and Savior. So then, brothers, verse 12, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This passage builds to a crescendo, which is so incredible. And for people who maybe were hearing it for the first time and maybe not have understood this, I mean, you could almost hear the jaws just drop. Because what Paul does is he talks about this, this problem, this trap. This, he refers to it as he builds to this climax as a slavery that we were enslaved by, we were held in captive by the power of sin and the power of death. It was horrible. And then to turn on that and to say it's not just that we've been freed from that, that we've been released from that. That's been replaced with sonship as a fully adopted child of God. And I remind you, it uses the, the, the male gender here because in their culture, that would have been important. I mean, Paul didn't want to simply write your sons or daughters of God because daughters in his culture didn't have anywhere near the rights that sons did. And so he wants to make sure everyone understood that you, men, you, women, you're all sons because you are fully adopted by God himself. You are a sibling of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you just imagine the inheritance that belongs to Jesus? Just stop and think about that for a minute. The inheritance that is due Jesus, the Savior of everything, the Lord of everything, the one through whom everything that exists has its existence, the one without which nothing that exists could possibly exist, that Jesus, what do you suppose is his due? And then you and I are told that we are co-heirs of that. Hmm. See, it's not simply that the resurrection has set us free. The end point of the resurrection is this adoption. 
the power of the resurrection is a freedom that includes adoption as full sons of Jesus Christ. And in our culture, you know, we can say sons and daughters, you know, because we've got a different culture and it, it works a bit differently. So sons and daughters, it's fine. But you are fully a child of God, turned from a slave, someone who is utterly trapped into an adopted child of the one high God. Hallelujah. Is that not incredible? Isn't it a shame when this is another one of these facts that we say, yeah, 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 I know, I get it, I get it. (laughs) I think when we get to the point where we say, yeah, yeah, I, I get it, I think we don't get it. I think we don't remember what we looked like before Jesus Christ. I think we forget what it was like to be just trapped, to be completely stuck. As Paul writes here, to be unable, incapable of pleasing God. We can't do it. It's not in us by ourselves. And thanks be to God, Jesus Christ stepped into this world. He became like you and I in that he was human, but he was distinctly unlike you and I in that he was able to never, ever sin. Ever. Can you believe that? Even as a two-year-old, He didn't have any terrible twos. I mean, it's just, you know, mind-boggling. He never once sinned. So that in becoming my sacrifice, in becoming your sacrifice, in becoming the perfect sacrificial lamb, without blemish or without spot, he not only was a, a perfect substitute for my sin, But then he gives me his righteousness. Yes. And now I'm a child of God. And now as a follower of his, you are a child of God. And I think this does a couple things for us today. For one, I think it's good to remember, again, that we were incapable of pleasing God before Jesus. And I think what has to come along with that is the understanding that those who are outside of the Lord Jesus Christ right now are presently incapable of pleasing God. Do you understand? And I know we've talked about this before, but I think we get so enamored with sort of shaking our fist at the world because they're so sinful. Yeah, of course they are. To expect them to not be is to forget the reason that we can not be. Do you understand? It's a bit like expecting a lion to behave like a giraffe. 
Why would we do that? I've been made a new creature. Why would I expect old creatures to behave like new creatures when they're still old creatures? In fact, it's probably worse than lion and giraffe. It's probably more akin to expecting a lion to behave like a telephone. I, I mean, it makes no sense. But we sometimes say, why can't they just be better? Why is there so much sexual sin in our world? Why is there so much uh, uh, sin that has to do with lying? Why is there so much hatred in our world? Well, the answer is simple. It's because they are incapable of pleasing God because they are still trapped. They are still slaves, just like you were a slave to sin and to death. I was a slave to sin and to death. I need to remember that. We need to remember that. Because it helps me praise God that much more vigorously for my salvation when I remember who I was without it. But it also ha helps me to have more of a heart of compassion, God's own heart, one might say, for a world around me that is still living in that slavery to sin and to death. They're in captivity. They need help. And that's why God has made us ambassadors. But sometimes it's nice if we are somewhat more compassionate ambassadors and recognize they can't even help themselves. I couldn't either. Before Jesus, I couldn't help myself. Well, praise be to God, I've been delivered. I've been set free. They still haven't. I'm going to weep for them. I'm going to hit my knees and pray fervently for them. They might also be delivered like I have been. But I think there's another dimension to this. And that is part of what Paul wants to teach here, as he does frequently, is listen, the reality is, and this is non-negotiable, the reality is you and I as followers of Jesus have been delivered from the slavery of sin and from death. That happened. So stop acting like it didn't. If after the the emergency room experience when I just wanted to go home and it was so terrible. You understand, I'm being a little dramatic, you know. It was the worst thing ever. <laughs> I really wasn't. But I was ready to get out of there. If when doctor finally said, okay, you're all set to go, here's what I want you to do, go home. If I decided to stay there and hang around, that would have been really dumb, right? If I thought, yeah, I am really tired, and this has been really frustrating, but I think I'll hang around here a bit longer and just, you know. Deborah, why don't you go give him your name? And we can be here for another four hours maybe, you know, until they, they say, let's, let's do that. I mean, how dumb would that be? 
Well, I'll tell you how dumb it would be. It would be the same level as dumb as if we, who have been set free from the slavery of sin, continue to choose it. Hmm. If we, who've been delivered from that bondage, see, we now don't have an excuse. Before Jesus, we at least had an excuse, which was when we were incapable of pleasing God. We were slaves, we were captives. Now we've been set free. And when we go back to that, this is part of what is, is almost baffling to Paul. He said, why would you go back to that? Remember when God delivered the Israelites out of Egypt, but then as, as they were wandering through the wilderness because of their own disobedience, remember, but you know. <laughs> They're wandering through the disobedience and sometimes it was hot and sometimes they were tired. And sometimes they would say, I wish we could go back to Egypt and be slaves again. And it's good for us to read that and think, oh boy, you, you silly, silly Israelites. <laughs> but what we also ought to do is put ourselves in that picture and say, oh, silly, silly me. Because you know what happened to me? I was set free from that slavery. I was delivered out of captivity. And then sometimes I go back to it like a dog returns to its vomit. Why? It has no further power over me. That power, that hold, that captivity, it's gone. Why would I choose it ever again? Why would we choose it ever again? Part of the power of the resurrection is sin has no further hold on us. Hallelujah. Does that mean that we never struggle with temptation? Please say no. We do. But what's good to remember is that has no hold over me now. The power that sin used to have over my life, it's gone. Jesus vanquished it. The resurrection killed it. Hallelujah. That power is gone. I'm free. You're free. And yet sometimes we live as if we weren't. Sometimes we say even, you know, we've got cute little colloquialisms like, oh, the devil made me do it. No, he didn't. He can't. The devil can't make you do anything because Jesus loosened those chains and set you free from that prison. You're done with that. And so when you choose to return to that bondage, this might hurt to hear, but you have one person to blame for that. It's only you. But you don't have to. Because Jesus, through the power of his resurrection, fixed that problem for you. He replaced your old nature with a new nature. He replaced death with life. He did what the law could not do and gave you a righteousness that was God's own righteousness all through the power of the resurrection. The power of the resurrection is freedom. And not simply freedom, but a, a, a freedom whereby captivity and bondage and slavery is replaced with family, with adopted 
children of God. Hallelujah. 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 We have a good God. We have a good God. Because we were enslaved. And make no mistake, we were enslaved. It was our fault. You know, we couldn't have blamed anybody. And still, God delivered us from that slavery. Don't go back to it. Don't return to it. And think about the world that we live in who are still enslaved. They're blind. They're in bondage. They need help. They need Jesus. They need the power of the resurrection. And it's our, I was going to say job, but it's our privilege to get to tell them that. Our Father God, we thank you for your holy word. God, we pray for us. We pray for our hearts. Father, I I just know, not because I know firsthand, but I just know because we're all us, that some of us this morning are dealing with sin. Some of us are returning to bondage, even though you set us free from that. There's no reason for us to do it. But we keep going back to it as if we have no choice. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, I simply want to remind you, you absolutely have a choice. You do have power. You're not powerless. You've been given freedom from this bondage, this slavery, this captivity that that used to give you no choice, but now you have a choice. Praise God you have a choice. You have His very righteousness in you. And so don't make that choice that you no longer have to make. You've been empowered to be free. God, convict us. Each and every one of us. There might be as many different things in this room as there are people. But whatever it is, if some of us are struggling with with sin, even though we really aren't struggling, we're, we're giving up. We're giving up the fight and we're going back to it as if we have no choice. Remind us that we've been delivered from that power because of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And God, make us a people who want to share that power, that resurrection, that good news with a world that is still enslaved, with a world that still doesn't have a choice, that's still incapable of pleasing you. Help us to lead them, to guide them, to point them to Jesus, who is everything, to this resurrection, which is everything. As we've already seen for a few weeks here, without this resurrection, our faith is vain. With the resurrection, though, praise be your name. Our salvation is everything. We love you, God. We thank you for rescuing us. We thank you for freeing us and making us your children, for giving us a new power from sin and from death. We pray this in Christ's name.
Amen.